Good to see you all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for getting us up. Thank you for the gift of rest, the gift of life, gift of the beauty of your creation that we're just enjoying so much right now. There's no reason we can't always, but we just thank you for the beauty of the, of the season. We thank you for the wonder of your opening our eyes to not only behold it, but to behold you, the one who made it all and made us and who we give all worship to this day. May, may we have come today overflowing with thankful hearts eager to worship you. Bless our time together. Bless the word. Bless the singing. Work in our hearts. Bring change to us that is in accord with your perfect will of conforming us more. Make us like Jesus. We want that. Whatever that takes, we want that. And with bended knee and humble heart, we say that. We thank you that you're good and loving and perfect and wise, just, holy in all your ways. What a great God that you are, so worthy of us. And our attention to your word now in these next few minutes. We pray these things in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, some of you grew up in Christian home, and I hope that you know how, how blessed you were if you grew up in a home, and you saw the faith, and you heard the faith, and you were raised in the context of the gospel. What a, what a blessing. What a blessing that is. But many of us were not and having not grown up, grown up in a Christian home, I believe we are, have more of a tendency to forget where we came from. And where we came from was life, was life under the sun. And there is a theme to this book of Ecclesiastes, is there not? And it starts with that theme, with Solomon in all of his wisdom telling us what life is like under the sun. And what does he say, everyone? All is, all's vanity. Meaningless, futile, empty. How is that? Empty without God. Empty without a knowledge of God. Empty without his word, his revelation that tells us about him and about us and about life and about heaven. Empty and vanity without God's, without his wisdom. So may we never forget the significance of the book of Ecclesiastes is to wake us up, among other things, of where we came from and where people are without God and without him being real uh, in their lives. And in the midst of life under the sun, there's all kinds of things. Life is like that in general. There's the reality that there are things in life that we would not choose, that we're going to have to get to glory to understand, that are 
challenges in the present life which we live, and we saw some of those last week in chapter 8, things like authority over us, evil authority, chaos in the world in which we live, wondering uh, the, the oppression of the righteous, and it seems like the even it seems like the prosperity, remember Psalmist says, how, why is it, it appears that the wicked prosper? Things that are hard to relate to, to figure out, without resting in the God that we know and that we trust and coming back to his, his character and his care for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? When we get to chapter 9, uh, Derek Kidner calls this, <clears throat> this particular chapter more hard realities as it relates to life uh, under the sun. And I think that's a good, um, a good title for the, uh, for the chapter as a whole. And I'm going to give you the, uh, the outline as I see it and was helped with it, and then we're going to read the chapter as a whole, Okay. But here's what I think is a helpful um, outline of the chapter. From chapter 1, we're reminded of the reality that God is in control, not you. And we could say to that, we're thankful. Amen? But we're talking about life under the sun. And then in verses 2 through 6, we're going to be reminded that one of the most uh, real realities of all of life is death. Death is unavoidable. And it is a hard reality. It really somewhat doesn't fit in there, but i got to have an outline. <laughs> then in verses 7 through 10, in the midst of all of this, we must never forget that life remains a gift from God. Whatever our lot in life, he's still worthy of our, of our praise and our thanks. And then he reminds us in verse 11 through 18, in the midst of this gift that we have, that we are to enjoy, still life is... Life is unpredictable. Now, let's see if we catch some of this as we make our way through the chapter. I want to read the whole chapter and then come back to it uh, this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Derry Kidner calls these hard realities of life. Verse 1, are you ready? <laughs> the other people here this morning, are you ready now? Yes. Amen, okay. For I have taken... All this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hate. Anything awaits him. It's the same for all. There's one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and for the clean, for the, for the good, the clean, and the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, and there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, catch this, there is hope. Surely, a live dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything. 
nor have they any longer a reward for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. So go, go then. Eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your work, your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he's given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in the pit in Sheol, in the grave, where you're going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors. And neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a, or impacted me, I would think would be a better translation there if I can do that. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to surround it and constructed large uh, siege works against it. But there was founded in a poor man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. There we have it. And from the start in chapter 9, he reminds us of the hard reality that God is in control, not man. Look at it again, right back to verse 1. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds, key phrase, are in the hands of God. Now, what truth about God do we who live above the sun, what do we call this? What truth about God is that life, all of life, are in the hands of God? What would we say about God? That God is what? He's sovereign. Yeah, he's in control. He, he is sovereign. Um, just thought I'd put up a little uh, definition of sovereignty and relating to the truth of God's sovereignty is the providence of God. So we, we understand this. God's authority, absolute rule and authority over all things is his sovereignty. This exercise of his power over all of his creation. And then providence, which we can somewhat understand, is, is sovereignty in action in all the affairs of our lives. God's care for his creation, involving his preserving its existence and meticulous guiding uh, it to its uh, intended end. God is continually involved with all created things and directs them 
to fulfill his purposes. So he rules and he carries out that rule in every detail of his world and all creation, and that includes us personally. Now, what does the person living above the sun that knows the Creator God and has been saved, what, does, what is his, what is your response to the sovereignty of God? Is it you resist it or do you thank God for it? I trust you're nodding your head. You thank God for it. Why? Because you know he can do a better job with his world than you can. Amen? Amen. You, you come back to the character of God, that he's loving, he's good, he's wise, he's just. So he's sovereign in our individual lives, and he's sovereign to what's going on in the world around us, even right now. Even though the world can look like it's in chaos, nothing is catching him by surprise. He, he is ruled, he is, he is determined. His, 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 his decreed will is taking place. And when man stops and he goes, well, how can this world be in such chaos? I think we ought to read Psalm 2. And then we read Psalm 2, and it gives us this imagery, he who sits in the heaven laughs. He hasn't missed one event or anything that's going on. He's decreed it. He is in control, and it will work out perfectly to his intended end, and we will sit back and we say, thank you, Lord. And we're putting our trust in you in the midst of all that is going on. Now, um, even some passages, it's good to back up our theology with truth. So Isaiah, oh man, that's section 43 through about 45, reminding us of the greatness and the rule of our God, 45, 5 through 7. I'm the Lord, there is no other. Beside me there is no God, I will gird you. Though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun, no one beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light, creating darkness, causing well-being, and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Proverbs 16.4 and 16.9 remind us of sovereignty and providence. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. And then providence, somewhat worked out in verse 9, I think stated well, we, we make our plans, the mind of man plans his ways, but everybody say it with me, but the Lord directs his steps, yeah. And that's why James says in James 14, when it comes to making all of your plans, he goes, well, wait a minute, you don't know, you don't know. Now, so then how does man under the sun, how does he respond to God's sovereignty? Or does he think about it? I'm not sure. What do you think? I think he tends to think he's like He-Man. Right? And is the uh, master of one's, one's universe. I'm in control, you know? And we, we could say, yes, you are, and then we add that next word, Until right? Until. Um, we've all heard this. William Ernest Henley says, I'm the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. I'm making my choices, running my life, and I'm in total control until, oh, 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 the doctor calls back, right? Or until, all of a sudden. 
In fact, we're going to see his sovereignty more, no more anywhere else than in the next verses that we've just read, who is in control. Every aspect of our lives. But we forget that. We can forget the fact that when we were in darkness, we thought we, we had it all together. Especially when, for us that are a little older, when we were much younger, why, we got it all planned. Everything's going to work out, and we're talking about things in life that are difficult, that are hard realities. It doesn't relate to us because we've kind of got this thing all together. Now, I think it's good to listen to Jesus always. So Luke over, turn, over Luke, turn over to Luke chapter 12 and be reminded of the wise businessman who had life under control without God, right? Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the parable, didn't he? 12, 15 and following, very quickly. You know this, but let's, let's come back here. Like Luke 12, 15, uh, 12, 15, yes. Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against any form of greed, for not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told him a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? What a problem. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, oh, man, listen, him preach to himself. Soul, you have, been, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. So, oh, here it is. Look. And what's he say to himself? Put your feet up, paraphrase. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, the Epicurean concept, you know, could come in here too. For tomorrow, you, you don't pay eyes. So you need to live it up today. We're going to see that's not the biblical concept of enjoying life. But he's, he's happy with what's going on. And Jesus said, verse 20, but God said to him, you what? You fool. You thought you had life by the tail and you didn't have anything by the tail. And now, and now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich in God's mercy and grace yeah, toward God. What a good reminder for us. So it, it, when, when a man under the sun determines that he is in control and he tends to think that he is until God changes our plans. And that can be in the most simple ways in our lives as believers that he reminds us we're not in control as well. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Second part, I stop with our in the hands of God. Man does not know. He doesn't know whether it be love or hatred, anything awaits him. Now he's using those words, love and hatred. In fact, I have what I think is a helpful footnote from Ryrie. Many events are beyond the control of men. Every possible circumstance can befall man, but whether faced with love, which is happy circumstances, or hatred, unhappy circumstances, God has arranged what will take place in one's life in one's life. So you don't know the circumstances he's ordained for you. You didn't plan the day to come into this world, and you don't know the day that you're going to leave it. So be pretty wise to trust the one who's in control. Everybody say amen. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Wearsby is always helpful to me. I love him. Thank God for him. Life and death are in the hand of God, and only he knows our future, whether it will bring blessing 
love or sorrow. Solomon was not suggesting that we are passive actors in a cosmic drama following an unchangeable script handed to us by an uncaring director. Throughout this book, Solomon has emphasized our freedom of discernment and decision, but only God knows what the future holds for us and what will happen tomorrow because of the decisions we are that we have today. And we know from his wisdom, living life under the sun, that he is not messing with our lives. He loves us and he's working good. And all that he's bringing into us in our lives. Gibson says, we aspire to have it all, know it all, do it all, achieve it all, be happy forever, have all the answers, never be left scratching our heads and be remembered by all for all time. That's what we hope for, but what guarantee is there that we won't go under a bus tomorrow? Thank you very much. If you knew that would happen to you tomorrow, how would you live today? That's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Stop there for a moment. That's the whole point. He's, he's taken us there throughout this book to get us to the end. If you knew that would happen tomorrow, how would you live today? That is the whole point of Ecclesiastes. The life you have today comes from God's hand as a gift. You have it for a short while, and one day God will call time and take it back. And there's no, uh, no determining how long the days that you have except by, by God. So, we got it. We, we, we don't know, but God does, and we are not in control, but he, we, he is. And nothing illustrates God's sovereign control over the world and over all of us than the reality of verse 2 and following. So, first of all, God's in control, right? He is in control, we're not. And life under the sun, remember, we're there, and death is unavoidable. And boy, does he drive that home, and it's not the first time in the book. It is the same for all. There's one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and for the unclean, down to verse 3. This is an evil that all is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and sanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Not only going to die, but we're sinners. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Uh, now, don't miss that. There is hope. So he's saying it's sure better to be alive than it is to be dead. Because if you're alive, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. Hmm. I don't know the whole, I haven't found or looked for the whole uh, poem, but this gentleman, J. Betjeman, that's, if that's Benjamin or something, that's a strange spelling, is it not? His poem says, Oh, why do we waste their breath inventing daily names for death? Hmm. Most significant, more sure, not significant, most sure thing in all of life is, except taxes, <laughs> his death. His death. Come to our friend again. During my many years of pastoral ministry, I've seen this denial in action. When visiting bereaved families, I have noticed how often people deliberately avoid the word death and substitute phrases like left out, went home, went to sleep, or passed on. Of course, when a Christian dies, he or she does go to sleep and does go home. But this assurance should not make death any less real in our thinking or in our feeling. 
The person who treats death lightly may fear death the most. If we take life seriously, and we should, then we can't treat death flippantly. And I would say to the parents this morning, as a reminder, and grandparents, that every occurrence in life is an opportunity for the gospel. And here's one for sure. Here is one for sure. One thing is abundantly clear. That's the predator that tracks us down. We don't outrun death no matter how much kale. Oh, kale. We eat. <laughs> yeah, I've ha- I had that for breakfast. No, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, Anne-Marie. Good to have you back. We can't outrun death no matter how much kale we eat, how many medicines we take, how many diets we try, how many Botox injections we receive, or how many workout programs we do. Death really seems to render life senseless because it cancels out everything we do, and all our human effort is not the ultimate factor in whether we die or live. Effort, in the end, has nothing to do with it. There are really fit people whose hearts give out and they die young, and there are chain smokers who live into their 90s. Solomon's point, again, that's his point. It does not matter how wise you are, how much money you make, or how much comfort you have, or how successful you are, how religious you are, how cleanly you live your life. Death is a great equalizer. This human assassin comes looking for us all, and he will find us. Yeah, the reality of it. I've noticed noticed that uh, when I have the privilege to do a funeral. Now, a funeral of a believer is certainly different than a funeral of an unbeliever, but whichever, I notice pretty much three kinds of responses when I present the Word and present uh, the gospel and man's condition uh, and need for the gospel at a funeral. And that is, from the Word of God, I notice one, one group you can look out and you can see one group is listening intently. And through the Word, I believe, God gets people's attention. That's the power of the Word. Amen? Then I notice when I do a funeral, there's other people that are like this. They're just praising God because they know the truth and they have hope. And then there's a third category that you notice, and it's look, it's a look like you're about to get your wisdom teeth pulled out. Why? Because you're facing at that moment, especially if it's an open casket, or through the Word of God, the thing you, want, you don't want to hear about, you don't want to think about, you want to run away and get entertained, right? But yet at the same time, absolute most real thing in all of life. Uh, one more. Oh, nope, I'm going to back up here for just a moment. And so I agree with D. Gibson. I'm going to put him up here in a second. And others who have asserted that here is the major point of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why Gibson uh, titles his book um, Living Life Backward. And Lydia, I didn't know how in the world you get, got that word backward like that, but it's the title of the book. Title of the book likewise. And he's pointing out, and I, I just wanted to mention that, that's the whole purpose, a great book, but what Solomon is doing and what he's identifying in uh, Gibson's book, and I'll just read you just a couple sentences, really one sentence, I guess, at the initial part of what's the point of the book. He's saying, keeping the end in mind shapes how we live our lives 
in the here and now. Living life backward means taking one thing in our future that is certain and letting that inform our journey before we get there. In fact, um, another way of saying that, I believe, is Jay Parkinson's got an article that he wrote, Finding Life Begins by Embracing Death. Well, finding what kind of life, right? Now that's the issue. Or here's the point, so well said. You begin to live when you know you will die and you are prepared for it. That's it. That's it. And that's what he's doing in the book of bringing this reality before man under the sun in the most real thing in all of life is the fact of death. But we have the solution for that, do we not? God has the solution for that, does he not, in his word. So you begin to live when you know you will die and you prepared for it. And that leads to John 10.10. Jesus said, I came to give you life. And what kind of life? How is it more abundantly? Because you're enjoying it now and you're set for the future and in, in Jesus Christ is real in your life and you have the hope of eternity. So you can, you can say absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Amen? So you, you under the sun are the people that can really enjoy life. You and I. Because we pass from life to life. From life to life. In, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can enjoy it. You live this life now with confidence that whatever God sovereignly, at every place he sovereignly ends this journey, oh man, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And you think the leaves are good now. Wait till you get to the new heaven and new earth and the beauty of it. And a tree with 12 different kinds of fruit, if that's literal in the Revelation. I don't know, we'll check out Marshall when he gets there. He's going to pick up in the book of Revelation, start in chapter 4, and he's been limited to end by 2030 to get to chapter, the end of the book. No, we set a limit there. We had to. 2030. I'll probably be in glory. He'll be working through Revelation yet. Okay? But oh my, what God has for us. What he has for us. So we just come our hearts filled with praise about that. Uh, Gibson, again, he calls this being able to die well. I love this. He says, to die well means I realize death is not simply something that happens to me. It happens to me because I'm a sinner. I realize that in a sense I cause my own death. To die well means I realize that every time I see a coffin, it preaches to me that the world is broken and fallen and under the curse of death. And I'm part of it. It means I realize that I'm not owed three score years and ten by God. It is only because of his mercy that I'm not consumed today. To die well means realizing that from the day I was born, I lived under the sentence of death, and I'm amazed that God spared me as long as he did. It means I have been heading for death from the moment I was born. It means I have been laying up treasures in heaven, and that is where my heart is. To die well means everything I have in this world I hold with open hands because I love Jesus more than anything and anyone else, and I'm happy to go home to be with him. Now, I'm happy to do that, 
And by God's grace, I'm ready, but I don't know that I'm in a hurry. Some days I am, but I'll tell you why. Because death is an intrusion upon humanity. It's, a, it's part of the fall. So it remains hard for us. It's hard. It's difficult. I just wanted to ask this morning, likewise, when was the first time for you that your eyes were open to the reality that mom and dad or grandpa and grandma, brother, sister, aren't going to be around forever? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? For me, I remember that. My dad taking me with him into the bedroom there. Grandma was there. And uh, doctor had conveyed the fact that she was in her last hours. And, and it's my grandma Kotke. And she admonished me. There was, we were not believers at that time. I thank God that I came from a, a moral family. But we didn't know the gospel. If we heard it, we didn't respond to it as a family. My dad and mom were not saved at this time. But dad took me in there as as his son took me in with grandma and grandma just barely got the words out but said she loved us and for dad to be a good dad and me to my me to be good son and that's the last time i saw her and i'm coming out there and they're in the main room in grandma's house you know some are weeping and going on and grandma's in her last hours you know what i said i said i don't like this i don't like this oh death where is your what sting I don't like that at all. When did it hit you? But I'm here to tell you with our children, that is an opportunity for the gospel. Jesus loves us, and he came to this world so that we could have life, and we don't want to miss those. And if you're one of those people that doing everything you can to hide your kids from all the reality of life, I know you're not, but I just want to say that. Give that up. And take that child with you to that funeral when you determine they're old enough to go. And love those people. Weep with those who are weeping, grieving. Love them. Pray for them. Whatever. But this is real. And then we talk about it together as a family. And we thank God for what Jesus has done. That we can have life and life eternal um, in him. By the way, after death, I caught this week, there is a film, and a guy called this a Christian film, and I didn't quite get the flow of that, but it came out just this week, and it's called After Death. came out on Friday in theaters. I just caught a quick thing of it, It, not even a preview, but it said, uh, the producers assert that death and life is not as black and white as we've been told. Oh, really? Have you tried it? Do you know? You know, where do you get that? And, and, and see, the basis of it is experiential. People say they've died and come back and it's all wonderful. And you don't need to worry about it, so get, get, go, go ahead and go get drunk and live crazy because it's just uh, passing into a wonderful little, uh, you know, abyss. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Isn't it interesting that that would come out right before Halloween? I remember years ago, um, at Kroger, somebody had decided it would be fun to when, the, when you'd go into Kroger in this past week. By the way, this is not bad-mouthing Kroger. It could have been a different store. But Deborah, you remember when we, we'd go into the store and they had a, a casket there and when the door opened, then the casket opened and, and, a, and a, like a body or a, a skeleton stood up. Now think about, 
think about maybe just, just burying a child and coming in and see that. What really is funny about death? What a, what a, um, what a deception. Could it be that part of the plan of the God of this world is to propagate a lie that man is invincible and death is not real? So young people can have video games and you, war games or whatever, and you kill 2,200 people, get to the end and win and whatever else, and it's a game. Death is not a game. Death is real. So we prepare for it. Amen? Enough going, enough going on about that. But, uh, and here, here's, here's an application I, I just wrote, Kevin. Don't forget, don't forget. And I want us, you and I, not to forget that God's sin, death, and judgment are essential to the propagation of the gospel. Let me say that again. The reality of a God, the reality of our sin, the reality of death, and the reality of a judgment to come are essential to our proclamation of the gospel, to the good news. Tom, uh, Tommy Nelson pastor there down, I think, in Texas uh, somewhere, said, it's easy to get a man saved, but it's hard to get him lost. Think about that. Sinclair Ferguson says repentance is the first word of the gospel. Repent from what? Your condition. And, And God is holy, you are not, right? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, yeah, the judgment. There it is. So this, this, this reality to our propagation of the gospel, we're just not handing heaven to people. We're, we're, we're calling people who are lost and under condemnation to the reality that they are in rebellion against God as we were and need to trust Christ and be forgiven and the hope of the gospel. And in that great message, great sermon in Acts 17, Paul says he's furnished proof to all men that there's going to be that judgment coming in that he has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Mm -hmm. So physical death and the reality of spiritual death that is a result of man's sin is a preliminary to the gospel. So let me bounce ahead now to some better news 6 through 10. Still, life remains a gift. Indeed, their love and hate and their zeal have already been perished, and they will no longer have a share. Oop, I bounce past that verse, and all that is done under the sun. We're still under that theme of death. Then he says, verse 7, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already proved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love. Down to verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there's no activity or planning or knowledgeable or wisdom in Sheol, the grave where you are going. Somebody has well said he is telling us enjoy life in verse 70 following. He's saying enjoy life in verse Nine, he's saying, enjoy your wife. And in verse 10, he's saying, enjoy your work. (laughs) If we could say it that way. He's already conveyed to us this wonderful reality of life itself, no matter what God brings into it. Back in chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, 
There's nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and tell himself that his labor is good. This also is seen that it is from the hand of God. And he says in, in, in verse 25, without him, at the end of verse 26, it is, it is in good in God's sight. He's just saying, this is from God and to be enjoyed. To be enjoyed. Moving ahead here a little bit. Yeah. So enjoy the wife, you gift. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And if I can stretch it, if I may do it this way, he's saying enjoy, not only enjoy your wife, enjoy her as a gift from God, but enjoy family, enjoy parents, enjoy family, enjoy friends, because all of that is a gift of God. All these relationships are a gift. So don't you look at me this morning and say, I can't enjoy life, I'm not married yet. I want to go on with that, but I'm not going to touch it. Okay? All right. Um, oh, yeah, this thing about clean clothes and so forth. I think where's me makes a helpful statement again. Hope I'm not relying too much on him today, but I just love the way he puts things together. Since death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable, the only course we can safely take is to yield ourselves into the hands of God and walk by faith in his word. We don't live by explanations. We live by promise. We don't depend upon luck, but on the providential working of our loving Father as we trust his promises and obey his will. And as we walk by faith, we need not fear our last enemy because Christ has conquered death. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And because he is alive, we will live in him. We don't look at life and say vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Instead, we echo the confidence expressed by Paul. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he ends that great resurrection chapter and says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the working of, work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is never in vain in him. In him. That clothing in verse 8, as I could see, some want to say he's talking about clothing in terms of purity of your righteousness in Christ. Well, I think that's the truth, but I don't think that's the point of verse 8 and most of the reading I could do. It's the idea of clothing and oil that you would have for festive and happy occasions. Put your best on and enjoy it. It's going on where people are celebrating. We don't have our kids all together much at all, all of them, at the same time, much anymore, you know? And that is so good. No. Um, but when it is, it's festive, you know? Or the occasion celebrated here yesterday, festive, yeah. Enjoy those blessings because still life is unpredictable as that last point, which he says in verses 12 and, and following. Poor man. By the way, a guy by the name of uh, Philip Moore says this, eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead, but today we are really alive in Christ. Isn't that good? Yeah. So the Epicurean then says, tomorrow you're going to die, so just live. No, no, no. Eat, drink, and be merry and be happy because life is a gift and you are prepared for eternity. That's the idea. 
So then he talks about the inconsistency of life. Here's a white man who has wisdom, and he, he, he saves this city from being invaded, but nobody remembers. Yep, that's, that's life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Poor man went, went unrewarded because no one remembered him in verses 14, 15 there. Solomon is saying one sinner can destroy much good. Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among the fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Yeah. Solomon is saying one sinner can, can destroy much good, and, uh, and in other words, a little folly can destroy the greater value of wisdom just as a dead fly in perfume, verse, chapter 10, verse 1, makes it stink. So fear God, grow in wisdom, enjoy the blessings of life, but remember what we're here for, and people are living under the sun, and they don't have assurance, but one thing is sure, they're going to stand before the God of eternity, and we're called to tell, go and tell. He says, go and enjoy, verse 7, we're called to go and tell as we have opportunity to do so. And it's good news. It's good news for those that are without Christ. Amen? All right, chapter 10 next week. Father, thank you for our time together this morning, and may we take it to heart. Personally, with the blessings that are ours in Christ and the joy of life and blessings that are going on, yes, always we're praying for people who are in pain, hurting, circumstances, loss. Yes, yes. We live in a fallen world, Father. We know that. But we have hope because we have you and your word and your son and salvation. So we praise you for that. And may we live according to, in, in response to that, to the things that you've impressed upon our hearts even this morning. And glory, all glory to you for it all. And, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. amen.